1: What's up, Gator Nation? Welcome to the latest Gators Online show. Zach Albaverde and Nick Del Torre here, and we've got a special episode for you today. An exclusive interview with the Director of Athletics at the University of Florida, Scott Strickland. We'll cover a number of topics with him on today's show, and we're going to jump right into it as well. We'll have an ad read here at the front, one at the back, and then we'll bring you our interview with Scott with no interruptions. How does that sound, Nick? Sounds Think good. people like that? Who knows? I hope, though. I hope so. Well, I think uh, I think the people will definitely like um, our uh, our first ad read and want to give a, a shout-out to My Perfect Franchise, as we do to start every show. And if you're ready to leave the corporate rat race for the American dream, looking for a side hustle while working your current job, wanting to diversify, build wealth, and or leave a legacy, Andy can help. Andy's a franchise consultant as well as a franchise owner and helps people find franchises that fit, Their skill sets, financial requirements, time to commit, and more. His services are 100% free, and he's here to help. If you have any questions about business ownership, you can learn more and contact Andy anytime at myperfectfranchise.net or calling or texting him at 404-973-9901. And without further ado, we're going to jump into our interview with Scott Strickland as he talks UF Athletics, Florida football, NIL, stadium renovations a number of topics with nick and i we will see you guys on the other side scott appreciate you uh joining us man how are you doing great
2: zach nick good to, good to be with you guys today
1: yeah absolutely. Good. well as,
0: as we record this this is the second time i get to see you uh good to see you today so uh good to see you and
1: uh we really appreciate you joining the show absolutely man well it's always good scott when you run into uh Anybody for something like that, you get to put a uh, a portrait on the wall at Spurrier's. That's a a good event, right, for a recognized J.C.?
2: Yeah, you know, what a cool um, spot in uh, Spurrier's restaurant. Um, That second floor visors, they have a little room for fans who have not been up there, where uh, Batesy, James Bates, has uh, done a portrait of all 19 Gator head coaches who have who have won national championships or whose teams have won national championships and um, it's fun to walk in the room and you know Batesy has his uh, kind of folk, folk art approach yeah. you know very unique look <laughs> and uh, his interpretation of all of you know some legends in Gator lore it's kind of fun to, to walk in that room and see them all but uh, there's <clears throat> ever since the restaurant has opened there has been a frame that's been empty and yeah. That's because Coach Spurrier always wanted any gay or coach who, who walked in that room and who had not won a national title to see that there was a spot that they could fill in. Mm. And, uh, we had a chance to fill that one in with JC Deacon because yeah. uh, he won his first national title uh, last spring with men's golf. And so we uh, we unveiled that portrait and celebrated JC a little bit. Coach Spurrier was there and um, told uh, Freddie Wiebe, who, uh, who runs Spurrier's restaurant,
1: that. He had to get another
2: blank frame because we need a pretty good motivation for our coaches to see.
1: That's right. And I, I think I think they might be running out of space on the wall. Oh, we room. got plenty of
2: space. They, they have plenty of space. In
1: fact, we were looking at that. They they can wrap
2: it around. We could double. We could put two, uh, yeah. you know, on each side. There's plenty. We got a lot of room for more national champions.
1: That's awesome. And you guys obviously also uh, added uh, Coach Shelton to that wall. Recently, mm-hmm. as well, too.
2: Yeah, Coach Shelton would have been added. Well, he, I think, you know, he won his title in twenty one. I'm trying to remember when the restaurant opened. If it, if he was there when the restaurant had opened or not, but somewhere in that time frame, Sully's up there. Tim Walton's up there. Mouse Holloway, obviously, is up there. Yeah. There's four current coaches. So there's four current Gators coaches. Oh, we're Roland Thornquist. So there's five. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's a good thing to uh, do one per coach. Otherwise mouse would fill up the whole room. Well, yeah. well there's little
0: placards <laughs> under that have all of the years. And I imagine that mouse is keeping some company in business. Uh, every year you have to come like, Hey, we need another one. Right. You can just add a new year to this old one.
2: Yeah. yeah. It's fine. You know, you got, you know, coach, coach Spurrier, of course, and Becky Burley. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you go through the litany of of great names, coach Donovan Coach Meyer, it's fun to see all the uh, all the greats recognized. Yeah.
1: Well, obviously, uh, like you said, Scott, you're always looking to add to that wall. And uh, we'll open this, you know, talking football. This is obviously a critical offseason, entering year, uh, year three for Billy Napier. Um, what are your just thoughts kind of on the the state of the program right now and, and, and where it's at and kind of where it needs to head? Um, I'll separate that two ways. Uh, sure you know,
2: from a, from a, uh, from a competitor standpoint, uh, and as you guys know, uh, we have a lot of competitors that make up Gator nation and, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm right there with them. Um, you know, it's frustrating because of the, what the record has been, um, going back to the year before Billy arrived. And, um, so that, that part's always frustrating that, you know, that's the part that, that, uh, you know you want to set your jaw and just get after it um you know then you then you you step back and you look at okay what are the things we, we can do and how are we working towards turning that around and getting that um that program position where it can compete comp- where it can compete for championships which is an expectation of all of our programs here at the university of florida and so you know i, I believe in billy i believe in um, his approach the kind of person he is the the uh, you know his attention to culture and the kind of people he wants to bring in the program. Um, I was reading a leadership book by, uh, uh, Admiral McGraven. He was talking about, you know, your, 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 um, the team you lead is only going to be as good as the character, of the people you bring in to be a part of that team. Mm-hmm. And, um, so that's a foundational piece to being successful. And, um, you know, I, I, I admire Billy's approach in that and so many other areas, I believe in I believe in how he's how he's going about that. Um, and I think there's a lot of, you know, to use the word that word foundational things uh, in place that the Gators are going to benefit from uh, soon and, and for a long time. But, you know, having patience and waiting for that has not been any fun.
0: Well, that's uh, that's uh, our society right now. Everyone's very patient always. Um, you kind of spoke to it, but what, I guess, stood out to you about Billy? You guys moved very quickly, so you probably had to do a lot of research, talk to as many people as you could very quickly. What was it that stood out to you that made you think Billy Napier is the right guy? And what have you seen these past two years watching him work behind the scenes that that gives you the confidence that, yeah, what I thought when I made the hire or when I offered him the job, uh, I've seen that's backed up now.
2: You know, the first time he kind of got my radar, he, had, he uh, where I really started paying attention. I think he was two years into his time at, at Louisiana. He'd had, uh, you know, first year they were 500, second year he'd won ten games, and um, you know, with his with his background, having worked at Clemson, having worked at Alabama. Um, and then going to a, a, you know a school that uh, their program at Louisiana was a little bit of disarray when he got there, had coming off a probation deal, and to have the success he had, um, he was getting attention from a lot of SEC schools and and um, turned down opportunities to interview for some of those jobs, and that just that was just interesting to me because that's not typical, right? We we just see this hiring cycle, coaches leaving somewhere after two years and running off somewhere else, right? Yeah, so yeah. Um, the fact that, you know, he had a chance to go to the sec from a Sunbelt school and decided not to do it. Just, I just found it interesting, you know, just mm-hmm. that's, that's an unusual response. And so I, uh, I just started kind of following him. I was on the CFP selection committee at the time. So I was getting access to a lot of game tapes and, mm-hmm. and they were a school that we were you know talking about as far as the top 25 rankings. Um, and I just, you know, I, I liked what I learned about him, right? You know, the kind of person he is, the way he treats people. Uh, you look at his background, he worked for Dabo, worked for uh, Coach Saban, um, had uh, had worked out West, had, you know, spent a lot of time in the South. And then as it turned out, you know, ended up going to Louisiana and and uh, his last three years there, won, won 10 or more games every year and, and uh, won a conference title. It just, I felt like that was a guy who was who was really patient, who had a plan, who wasn't um, uh, looking for the next easy thing. he was looking for the right thing. and um and then just, you know, everybody I talked to about him just, you know, had such a high opinion of him as a person as a, as a as a football guy. So that, that those are the things that first got him on my radar. Mm-hmm. And so I had had a, even before we got to that search, I had kind of made myself aware of Billy. And yeah. and kept up with him, um, and I and he has he has done nothing from that standpoint as far as how he how he handles himself, how he comports himself, kind of people he is. You know, I know, I know this frustrates fans when we have an opening and he is deliberate about filling that position. <laughs> but he he doesn't he doesn't grab the first person that he that comes to mind. He he really is incredibly thorough, not only on the ability of the person, but that goes back to the, the character and the fit and, and all, all those things. So um he's just he's he uh he has the traits that a lot of successful leaders have. And fact of the matter is, you know, we 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 thought uh to get Gator football off this roller coaster that that it's been on really since you know the end of Coach Meyer's time. Um we probably needed to take a different approach and not just go you know, not just do something really quick and say, "Go, you got to go win," right? Because we've we've had some success in those last fifteen yeah. years, right? We've had, yeah. you know, uh, ten win seasons. We've played in the conference championship. Uh, we've been to New Year's Six bowl games. We've won those bowl games, but we've we've been on this roller coaster, right? And so, mm-hmm. um, the goal is to consistently compete for championships. And um, wow. I, I I still feel strongly that Billy's a guy that can can lead us to that. Um, and it's just, as I referenced earlier, I think there were some things um, infrastructure wise and culture building wise, that um, that that had to take place here for us to to kind of set up for for what's to come. Um, in that being said, you know, as I mentioned earlier, as, a, as, as someone who wants to win, I get frustrated by, you know, field goal that could have made a difference in a game or a yeah. defensive stop that that seemed like we should have gotten that could have made a difference in a game. And suddenly you have you have three or four of those over the last couple of years. And, and the 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 record's not quite what we want it to be, but it's better and the temperature is a little bit different. And, um, and so that tells me we're close. Obviously, we're incredibly young this past year, one of the youngest teams in, in the country. And, you know, it's just it's unusual in this day and age of college sports, not just college football, college sports that the teams with young rosters are going to be successful at the level you want to be successful uh, you look at the teams that are competing uh for championships whether it's football basketball baseball you get on the list gymnastics <laughs> volleyball um tennis golf yeah they're older they're older squads right they've got yeah. they've got players who have uh who have who have uh, taken their lumps and learned and um you know we we are it's really important that this roster in the sport of football at the University of Florida that we can we can continue to mature it and and get older and then figure out what to stay old Mm -hmm. and um, it's hard to do in this age of of the portal and and all the movement roster movement that we're seeing across the country right I think every fan base sees it happening to them and they feel like something's wrong and then you step back and you look and everyone is, is experiencing this on some level.
1: yeah. Um,
2: and so making sure that, you know, we understand there's gonna be some attrition, but can you keep a core together, a core group together that you can build off of? And, and, you know, Michigan just is a great example. They just, they just completed a run like that where they had a core group, I mentioned yeah. off with JC Deacon, he had a core group that helped mm-hmm. bring that title that, that he kind of built with. Um, we, we've got to, we've got to and i think we're in the process i think billy has that group we've just got to grow with them, and then we've got to continue to add to them. And,
1: and on that note scott uh you know obviously when, when it comes to to roster building so much of it is is now also part of the portal and, and player retention and also being able to fill needs and uh we we've seen this staff be able to do it in the last class and, and they've addressed it uh in the 2024 cycle um but but also you know what they had to do from a recruiting standpoint at the high school level. They had this, you know, top five class. Um, you know, didn't have the season that they wanted. And I, I spoke to Jacob of France and he said, "Hey, man, when when you have results like that, it's hard to hang on to, you know, top commits like that." Um, but they they hung on to the, the two that they had to to sign the, the most. Uh, They're two five stars. It's the first time they've signed two five stars since 2015. I was there that day, Scott. I got to see you at the end of the day, and it was it was tense that moment when they got that that call from LJ, and he, he you know he put on that Florida hat. Um, what are your thoughts on you know this twenty four class? Kind of where, what that does to Florida's personnel to kind of upgrade the team?
2: Um, well, I think there's two really important things when it comes to recruiting um, in the sport of football. One is you do have to get high level talent. And collect as much of that as possible and then you need to make sure that you're um you have balance across your position groups and so obviously um you know uh, dj lagway quarterback and lj and defensive line those are probably two of the most maybe the two most important positions um right you know maybe left tackle would be added to that but those are probably the three most important positions yeah. um, from a value standpoint so to get high high-end guys at, at two of those positions is critical um you know the two young linebackers uh and charles and miles graham um th- that that position with shamar james coming back and and you add someone like grayson howard from the portal and and you got uh, a veteran like Derek Wingo, and I'm probably leaving somebody else off who's really you know I know we have some other young guys in there. Yeah. suddenly that's a that's a that's a position that the last few years has not been a strength and and, and you can now say, okay now there's there's some depth and talent up yeah. there. Uh, I think our front seven on defense, I was looking at the board the other day they you know defensive lines got a little more depth and, and ability yeah. I think than it's this had across the board. and so that that front seven certainly look at suddenly is looking, uh, a little different than what it has in recent years, and and that's so important because the one constant that we've struggled with is, as a football program, um, you can point to a lot of little things, or a lot of things. The one constant has been we've not played great defense, and, mm-hmm. and to, you know that's I don't care what sport, if you're not playing great defense, you're not going to be very good. And well, yeah. so to, to to address some key positions on that side of the ball, I think was was huge and. um, um especially the the linebacker and
1: D-line positions. Well, and and on that note, just to to follow up, and I'll let Nick go, Scott, but, um, you know, Billy said at the end of the year in his post-game FSU press conference that um, he he basically said there were going to be changes coming and and said that, hey, this is a production business. And, you know, he's made some staff changes this offseason, and and not just any staff changes. I feel like he's – he's made some tough calls, right? He's bringing in a new strength coach, bringing in somebody to, to kind of help with the defense and, and have every input in Ron uh, Roberts. Um, and then obviously some of the assistant coaching changes. He's got a new nutritionist. From your standpoint, what does that say about just his willingness to adapt? And you know, you mentioned uh, uh, qualities as a leader. I think one of those is, is having to make tough calls. And it seems like he, he made some of those this offseason
2: yeah uh you know there there's um there are two kinds of people and and leaders those that um, want to avoid the hard decisions Hmm. or if when things are going well don't want to take the time to evaluate what may not be going well because overall things are going well Hmm. and then there's those that are constantly driven to evaluate every single thing whether it's going well or not and um Billy is is almost maniacal as far as the way he is he evaluates things and so you know when fans get frustrated with an area um, and they want to they want to comment and express their opinion um, they they don't need they don't ever need to be concerned this Billy realize this is a problem because he he is he's probably realized it's a problem before it showed out there on showed up out there in the field but to your point he those are areas that he evaluated and and um, you know, uh, just our regular communication um, during the season is pretty frequent, right? We we you know, we, we see each other, I, I stopped by and talked to him at least once a week. In addition to just the other run in, you know, other times you run into each other during the week at a practice or something before a game or something. But um, we sat down midweek during the open date and started having some of those more in depth conversations. And those are some things that were on his mind back then even. And okay. so um, this wasn't something like end of the season, okay, now it's time to evaluate. It, it's a constant uh, evaluation and and um and I would also say that um, I don't think he ever stops with that, right? so um, if if you know there's probably some areas that fans want to know when he's going to address that maybe maybe they haven't seen anything come out yet, uh, I can promise you he's a guy that is constantly looking at ways to improve the operation and improve. Um, the staff and support that they provide those players. And, um, you know, that's, that's something that, uh, he, he may have prioritized things based on, uh, some other factors, but, uh, he's always constantly looking at ways to get things better.
0: Um, speaking of another fan, hot button topic, um, name, image, likeness. I remember, uh, speaking of Spurriers too, we had you uh, on the podcast probably two years ago, right after NIL had become, legal i think in florida um and we didn't know what it was going to be um it's kind of ramped up and and to me i think the system is broken i think name image and likeness um, means like companies want to use the platform you have or the brand you have built for yourself um, to use a sponsorship and promote their brand uh and it seems like in some cases it's more towards just pay for play or even inducements. And and I don't know that we're, this is what NIL would be. I think I've heard you talk um, before about we need to get to a point or it would be easier if schools, athletic programs could be able to fund NIL. Because right now I know there's a lot of fans that say the UAA has ruined Florida's NIL. The schools cannot The universities, the coaches cannot be involved with the collectives. They can point you in the direction. um, But the system we have now, it, it, it seems hard to police. Do you think we will get to a point where the schools, the university athletic associations can actively participate by playing players? And what would
2: that system look like? You know, uh, I don't know how, how long you guys want this to go. Uh, <laughs> we, could, we could spend, you know, a couple hours talking on this one topic. Um, um, the, the You know, college athletics was really hesitant to allow name, image, and likeness. And there's been a lot of criticism that the leaders of college athletics, the commissioners and the NCAA office, was slow to allow that to happen. Um, but, but the reason everybody was slow to allow that to happen is what you just pointed out, Nick. Because everyone who worked in college athletics knew as soon as... There was a viable legal way to direct money to athletes that, mm-hmm. in some level, is going to touch recruiting. And, and, and
0: not, yeah, money. and not to cut you off, but like it does do great things. There's there's non-revenue sport, Olympic sport athletes, um, even football players who probably are getting life-changing opportunities. But uh, I mean, we can go back to SMU getting the death penalty in the '80s. You know, it, it's it's it. I don't know that it was ever not going to touch recruiting, like you said.
2: Yeah. And, you know, there's a simple reason for that. We're the only level of sport in this country that sole ability to get people to play for our teams is through recruiting. You know, the pro sports have a draft
1: yeah.
2: as does, as does little league. You've heard me use that line before, right? But it's true. Uh, and then, you know, scholastic sports, junior high and high school. Oftentimes it's, it's driven by uh, what neighborhood you live in, but college sports, the only way, the only way college sports, Sports coaches have to fill their rosters is to recruit, i.e. sell uh, the opportunity, um, meaning like, you know, make a sales pitch. Yeah. And when you're in that environment, every single thing you do is centered around how can we better our pos- better position ourselves to recruit better athletes. So whether, you know, people have criticized coaching salaries. Well, you want the best coaches because you've got to be able to recruit the best players. They've criticized spending on facilities. Well, you got to have the best facilities. They've criticized the size of our support staff. Well we want to make sure we have the the very best support staff for athletes because all this ties back to recruiting. And now lo and behold you have name image, and likeness and it's really important that schools have high quality name image, and likeness opportunities for their athletes. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't see this in pro sports because teams pay salaries to their players. And so you never hear, even hear the term name, image likeness, but you hear sponsorships or marketing opportunities for pro players. But it's it, neb, it rarely has anything to do with where someone's going to end up playing. You know, and a rare example, like I don't know that Otani went to the Dodgers for any reason other than the salary, but it probably didn't hurt that they were in one of the second largest market in our country and in a, a market... With probably the highest concentration of Asians of, of anybody of any other in this country and so from his mark not only is he getting a lot of money he has great marketability but you don't really hear about that often in pro sports
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, because these teams can directly compensate the athletes well instable yeah. rules don't allow schools to do that um, there's a lot of lawsuits going on that is attacking uh, that prohibition and so at the risk of being deposed as, as someone who, who um, you know, is responsible for a uh, major athletic program, I don't want to say a lot about my opinion on whether that should or shouldn't happen. But the fact that that doesn't happen, and the fact that there's a lot of interest in having these young people attend our, our universities and represent us, um, is why NIL has become kind of this uh, relief, uh, release valve, if you will, relief valve for ways you can, you can, you can find a way to give opportunities for young people. And so um, you're right, the, you know, in a perfect world, the most efficient system, uh, just from compensating athletes would be for the university, the athletic department to do it directly. NCAA rules do not allow that. yeah. And so we have to have third party entities, uh, whether it be businesses, whether it be um, collectives come alongside and provide that outside the athletic department and Florida Victorious is um, designed and set up to to provide that for Gator athletes. I think they've done uh they they've you know over 200 student athletes we have 500 student athletes on campus nearly half of them have a relationship with Florida Victorious and the reason that's they're able to have that relationship is because um several thousand Gator fans and alums have supported Florida Victorious and um you know, anybody out there listening, wondering if this is something that is helpful to the Gators, it's incredibly helpful for our coaches, for athletes and for our overall athletic program for Florida Victories to be as successful as possible.
1: Scott, you, you just, you just alluded to this, I think, uh, in your answer just now, but I know that you mentioned it on, on WRUF in your interview with Steve Russell, um, and you know, I, I don't think this relates so much to NIL, but, but it, I thought it was very interesting what you said, it was just about the need for players to have, you know, uh, a say in the decisions in college athletics and that they not just be made uh, from the top down. Um, Can you expand on that? You know, I want to, you know, uh, again, get you subpoenaed, but uh, but go ahead and get subpoenaed, Uh, but but,
0: I've never been to Washington DC. Maybe they'll bring me with you,
1: (laughs) but why that's important, you know?
2: Well, I I think it would, uh, it is a solution. I'll tell you what I will, uh, I'll quote a Supreme court justice and maybe that'll prevent, give me some kind of legal uh, protection there, Nick. Uh, But when the uh, Supreme court made their ruling in the summer of 21 related to, uh, it's called the Austin awards, but it's the academic benefits. It's, which means there's an NCAA rule said that schools could not reward athletes with cash for academic incentives. And, and that got challenged, that rule got challenged. Mm. The NCAA lost that at a lower court, and it got appealed to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court upheld the lower court ruling 9-0. Wow! And as divided as this nation is, it's hard to imagine Supreme Court ruling on anything 9-0, but they did in this case. So that tells you uh, how badly that 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 appeal was lost by the NCAA. But um, you know, one of the one of the judges wrote a uh, a concurring opinion, which is, I understand was a little unusual in a non-owned decision. So, you know, eight, uh, judges all signed into the, uh, the, the regular decision and judge Kavanaugh actually said, no, I have my own opinion. I want to put this out, but I think he said something that's pretty in his opinion. If you go back and read it, it's not very long, but he basically says, that, you know, his, his opinion, the NCAA has arbitrarily set limits on benefits that athletes can receive. Mm. And, um, I would agree with that. And the reason that's occurred is because, is in the name of trying to create a level playing field for competitive balance, right? And that limit typically has been a scholarship. That's what schools can provide typically. There's cost of attendance and Austin money now, but basically it's it's a scholarship. So Judge Kavanaugh was saying, was questioning whether these, these arbitrary limits of a scholarship um, it, can withstand antitrust laws that exist in our country. Wow. And uh, he said in his, his opinion, there are only three ways the NCAA could um, get around these antitrust laws and, and be in compliance. Number one is they could have um, uh, Congress step up and, and carve out an exemption for them. Uh, secondly, they could wait for some of these court cases to to work their way through and use, uh, use a uh, judge's ruling to determine what the model is going to be going forward, yeah. or number three, the uh, college athletics c- could collectively bargain with the athletes what the rules are going to be. And so, um, fans ask some ask me sometimes, you know, why can't we have a salary cap? Why can't we just pay them directly have a salary cap like pro sports have, like the NFL has? Mm-hmm. Well, the NFL owners and the commissioner's office have collectively bargained. Mm-hmm that salary cap with the NFL Players Association. So the players on one side, the owners on the other, they agree, okay, we're gonna share the money, this is how we're gonna share it, we're gonna have a salary cap. Um, And so it's legal, it doesn't violate antitrust laws um, because they have collectively bargained and agreed to it. Well, Mm. college athletics, every time we've made a rule about transfer rules, portal windows, um, you know, scholarship, all this kind of stuff, there's there's no entity representing the athletes, to to um, give them a voice. Yeah. We, we have some we have some committees, student athlete advisory committee, where they we get their voice, but no legally recognized entity that says no. We think this is what's fair, and so mm-hmm. it is all the schools, the conferences, you collectively making these decisions. Without, we listen to the voice of the athlete, but there's no recognized entity representing the athletes. and sure. So um, I don't know that we're going to, we're either going to have the courts. I, I don't have a lot of confidence that Congress is going to come to our rescue. Even though I know we have a lot of congressmen. Congressman Bill Arrakas, who's a great gator, has introduced bills and he's trying. And there's, yeah. you know, there's others in Congress that are trying, but I don't have a lot of faith that we're going to be successful in convincing Congress to uh, codify that college athletics, as we've all known it, is exempt from antitrust laws. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're heading down one or two paths. We're either going to let the courts make decisions and rule on this, that, or we're going to have to figure out a way to um, come up with a joint agreement with some entity rec- uh, representing the athletes that that the courts and everybody else says this is, this is a legitimate way to approach this and balance the fairness factor. We haven't even touched on the fact that um, of our, you know, at the University of Florida of our 21 sports, two of them make a net revenue, net positive revenue. And the other 19 are funded by those two, by football and basketball. Mm-hmm. And so when you start talking about paying players directly, that money's got to come from somewhere. We don't have an extra a few million dollars set aside. We're just waiting for the day we can start paying players, right? That money's been spent on all the other things we want to do to try to, you know, make ourselves... Uh, to, to benefit our athletes in legal ways and also make sure we're creating a great experience for our fans so they'll come and keep supporting the enterprise. So um, w- that money would have to come somewhere. And so if, if, we, if, there, if college athletics goes to a pay for play model for the sports for the athletes and sports that generate revenue, you're also going to be subject to Title IX laws, which means you're going to have to have a gender equity uh, approach to how you're doing that um and it it also jeopardizes support and sponsorship of other sports that don't fall into one of those two categories mm. so men's
1: men's, men's them that the nfl doesn't have to worry about yeah right pro sports don't have to
2: worry about it it's, it is an incredibly complex
1: yeah
2: you know when someone says i don't like nil i get it but it's yeah. com- i mean the complexity it may be the most i've heard a legal i've heard a lawyer say this it may be the most complex legal issue in the history of our country. When you layer, you know, the fact that these are by and large public institutions subject to federal Title IX law that are incredibly, that are run like commercial enterprises from a sports standpoint, especially in in the sports that generate a lot of interest. Um, Student athletes. Yeah. I mean, just the whole thing is, uh, it's, you know, I always use this line that, you know, Winston Churchill was once asked, or once made a statement that the democracy was the worst form of government, except for all the others, <laughs> right? Um, I kind of feel like college athletics—you could, you could, you could kind of use something similar. It's a—it is a messed-up system, yeah. but it's done so much good, right? It's the outside of the GI Bill, it's educated more Americans than any other uh, enterprise in our country's yeah. history, uh, academically. Um, you, uh, America is the only country whose government does not support it's Olympic movement. So think about all the medal counts that we win as a nation at at the summer games, at the winter games. And we do that without our government funding any training for those athletes. And why are they able to do that? Because we're also the only country that's combined higher education and athletics and NCAA division one schools spend about $5 billion a year on Olympic sports, not on football, basketball, on Olympic sports. Mm. And so the, we have this built in development program that not only impacts the Olympic movement and not only impacts pro sports, because we're a development feeder system for pro sports as well. Yeah. And obviously it's providing this great experience on the college level. It's also impacting youth sports because how many people participate in youth sports with the, with the goal and the dream of getting a scholarship so they can go compete collegiately. So it really touches yeah. every range of sport in this country. And it's under attack right now, and because it's, you know, it doesn't really fit in a neat box. Yeah, I, um, I think we went ten minutes. We could have gone two hours, but a
0: yeah. <laughs> complex hours.
1: issue, man. Uh,
0: well, more complex issues. I, I think your job is all all complex issues. One thing, um, I keep Nothing's hearing easy. people. No, one <laughs> thing I keep hearing people ask you. I, I think it's, it'll be easy for you to clear up. Um. Why did Scott Strickland want to demolish the swamp and build something else somewhere else? Um, and, and I tell people when you're, or you can tell people, but you're undertaking, re- refacing, putting makeup on, refurbishing, revamping a 94-year-old building. I think when you start discussions, hey, what do we do here? You kind of just throw everything out there. Um, and I don't know that, uh, and you can speak more to this, but I don't know that, that was ever a real option or if it was just something like hey let's throw every option we can out and talk about it
2: yeah you're exactly right Nick it's a, just an effort to be comprehensive in in, in studying what the uh, opportunity might be um when we we we've we did two we've done two separate studies in the last five years uh, with uh, design teams on Ben Hill Griffin Stadium and we just have just now actually hired the architect to help design the renovations. But as part of those studies, uh, the leadership of the university, the board of trustees ask us to look at every possible option. And so we did what you know, our, our due diligence there to make sure we we turned over every rock and everything from, you know, uh, just painting up the wing walls to what if you build a new stadium somewhere else? Um, that's just that's just being responsible, right? I um, We are heading down a path where we're going to be on the existing Take the existing stadium. Uh, I keep using the term re- restoration, but you know, restore the existing parts, uh, renovate what needs to be renovated, um, add where we can add, and and make this a venue that's going to continue to serve the University of Florida for another 50 years. As you mentioned, it's 90 something years old now. Um, it's older than any stadium in the NFL. It's one of, you know among the oldest in college athletics. Um, there's only two major league baseball stadiums that are older than the Swamp: Fenway Park and Wrigley Field. Wow, um, it is it is an iconic venue, right? People, when you say the Swamp, <laughs> you don't have to say anything else. There's very few facilities, sporting facilities in this country, for which that is the case. And so, um, I think we got to be really careful. Um, I, I love what makes it unique and special, which you know, you, everybody has their own opinion, but I think one of the things that make it unique and special is how close the fans are to the field. In other words, the sidelines. You know, I, I see you down there in the sideline taking pictures. <laughs> you don't have a lot of room to, to navigate and work. Yeah. Uh, compared to other college stadiums we go into, I think that's one of the things that makes you know Ben Hill Griffin unique is is how tight the the stands are to the field. And I, I would I deep, wouldn't
1: want it any other way. How, how steep I go in other is from there? Yeah.
2: Right. And I think that creates a lot of the noise. The wing walls are an iconic visual um i think it's important that those are uh maintained and 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 kept in place um they're kind of like you know nick baseball they're kind of like the green monster right is to fenway the the wing walls are to to ben hill griffin so um but there are a lot of a lot of challenges with with bringing ninety thousand people into the current facility that need to be addressed there's safety issues um there's comfort issues So um, I don't envision uh, the bowl feeling a lot different when it's all said and done, Uh, but I think we can accomplish a lot um, around the bowl, outside the bowl, above the bowl, uh, and, and do it in a way that maintains and retains what's really special about coming to the swamp and seeing the gators play.
0: And the issues there for for fans that don't know, uh, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the swamp was built before uh, ADA compliance, the American Disabilities Act. So if you touch a section to put chairbacks in, well, you have to make everything in that section ADA compliant now with handrails and, and certain distances. Um, if you want to put chairbacks in on some alumni section, well, hey, now the family who's had season tickets for 30 years on the 40 yard line well their seats might now be in the corner of the end zone and these are all different things you have to consider when you start doing that um i guess my next question would be all of that is pricey and i think you've you've mentioned a a number like 400 million um and, and the last time we had you on the podcast i asked and we were still new with nil is there an issue and i think fans are talking about this is that you're going to be asking for donations because I don't think the UAA has 400 million dollars lying around to to do renovations. But how do you ask for donations for the project to revamp the swamp while also still continuing every year asking for? Well, we also need you to support our athletes through Florida Victorious. And and how do you see that those two things maybe competing with each other or how do they work together?
1: Don't forget, Gator well, Boosters. <laughs>
2: Gator boosters.
0: I'm sure the science wants a new building or or a new lab somewhere.
2: Well, uh, the first thing I would say is we're not, we're not far enough along to even have a financial model for Mm -hmm. the stadium renovation. So it's all speculative right now as to what that would be. And that 400 million number, my guess is, is a starting point to do it right. So you really, you're right. Those are both really important. Making sure the stadium is, um, uh, the football stadium, and and I've heard people, members of our board of trustees, I've heard our uh, president Sass say this: Ben Hill Griffin Stadium is the most important facility on this campus, both from a size standpoint and just the you know the place it sits on this campus. And that's not even talking about how important football is to the University of Florida, which obviously it's incredibly important. So we we can't just sit here and go, okay, we're not going to touch that because we don't want to spend the money and and go through the hard process of making decisions. Um, because that that would we would not be doing a service to this great facility and this great program in this university, right? We've got to figure out what comes next for the swamp. So um, I don't think they're mutually exclusive, right? We have we have people currently who buy their tickets in this football stadium and they uh, they give elsewhere on campus, whether it's the engineering or um, the you know UF Foundation. Or another sports team, right? Another, another venue, another, another sport they follow. Um, we have five hundred thousand living alumni that have a degree from the number one public university in the country. And Zach <laughs> includes that. We we have uh, we have strength in numbers, right? And so, if we come up with the right plan, I have no doubt that we'll get uh, we'll we'll be able to figure out a way to fund that and all of our other initiatives and priorities at the same time. So I don't think it'll be a cannibalization situation, um, but we've also got to be doing our due diligence to make sure that we're uh, taking care of this place for for future generations.
1: Well, Scott, uh, speaking of stadium renovations, it's also going down at Everbank, and um, that'll mean that Florida, Georgia, is going to probably need a temporary new home. A lot of reports about potential locations for that, whether that's neutral site, um is a home and home unlikely what do you see as the possibilities there for that
0: quick quickly as as a 13 years covering florida would love to to go see a game in athens uh and until (laughs) i get a new job don't know if that's the case so i'm just going to throw um that's in my suggestion box or or my my suggestion
2: as someone who's worked in the sec at four different schools you know you know I shouldn't say anything. I don't want to. I don't want to do built material. But you haven't you haven't missed much. I'd put it that way. Um, no, I'm kidding. It's actually they have um, The um, you know, I think right now it's still speculative. I know there's been a lot of talk over there. They've not made any final decisions. My understanding between uh, the Jags and and the city of Jacksonville about what exactly they're going to do when they're going to do it and what years potentially could be impacted. So it's all speculative right now. Uh, um, there's, there's two things that make playing Florida, Georgia in Jacksonville really special. One is the tradition, right? Nearly a hundred years of history there. Uh, the fact that it's a border city basically right there, you know, Georgia's just across the state line. Um, and then number two, financially, it is, it is, uh, more valuable to the two schools to play that game in Jacksonville every year than playing, uh, rotating home and home. Yep. So, um, if this, if that stadium was not available for a year or two, uh, we would, we would sit down with our friends at the University of Georgia and we would, we would figure out, you know, what, what makes sense for the both of us and, um, keeping in mind how much we value the, uh, the tradition and also how much we value the, uh, uh, the revenue that 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 game generates and and the notoriety it has, right? I mean it's yeah. it's, a, it's a pretty pinnacle part of the college football calendar every year. so um but again, it's it's still speculative. We've had one off side conversations josh the a d there, and I've had talks our staff have have talked what ifs, but um until we really know um, exactly what what the city's doing with the jags and and you know what that uh, how that lines up with with future games scheduled between Florida and Georgia, it's, it's really hard to speculate right now. Sure. You,
0: you have, uh, you mentioned uh, I, the first time I saw him, uh, I accidentally, I was texting walking at a baseball game and bumped into him and just looked up and said, Senator and kept walking. Uh, But you have uh, a a new president and Ben Sass. Um, I see him at baseball a lot. Um, I've seen him uh, selling Gatorades and hot dogs at football games. Um, seems like he has a, a lot of passion for sports. Um, he's spoken publicly, uh, about sports. Uh, what is your relationship like with him and, and what kind of interest has he taken into the athletic program you run?
2: Well, he does understand athletics at a high level. He's, he's, uh, it, you know, it's, it's been great having been on campus. He is passionate. He understands. He comes around. Um, his son, Breck, I think is, is literally at every sporting event on this campus. Um, uh, so it's a family that um, um, is really happy to be at a place like Florida, where you know it's really important. Um, uh, ben is, um, you know, is you know you hear the term so and so is the smartest guy in the room. Ben Ben is literally maybe the smartest guy I've ever met. He is just brilliant. His ability to um, take in and process information has been. Uh, um, it's just impressive to watch. And and so I, you know, why that matter, why that's helpful to me is some of these complex things that we've talked about, whether it's NIL, or other things, you know, I can sit down with him and kind of like give him a two or three minute, um, you know, intro, and, and then he's, 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 he's up to speed, right? He's, he's, he's all in, he's offering his perspective. That's been really, that's been really cool to be a part of. And um, uh, so anyway, he's, it's, you know, good guy, down to earth guy. Um when you called him senator, he prefers to be called Ben. You know, uh, <laughs>
0: I was just like in my own little world texting at a baseball game and literally ran into him. I, and I think it was the first time he was at a baseball game. And I, I'm just I'm too sarcastic for my own good, Scott. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, he's been great, and uh, I, you know he's got he's got uh, some pretty big goals and ambitions for this university, and and um, I, I think it's something that uh, uh, all the Gators are going to really benefit from.
1: Final questions here uh, with Scott Strickland. Scott, we, we asked you about the state of the football program, but what about the state of Florida athletics as a whole? I mean, obviously you hear the frustrations about football from fans and and rightfully so, but obviously the athletic department as a whole has had a lot of success. Just what do you feel about where it's at, you know, under your leadership and, and where things have been?
2: Well, you know, you want to win every championship and and you know, both conference and, and national titles. Um, and we, we, I think it's interesting. This is a place that, um, you know, we don't, uh, you look at what we value and, and how we bonus our coaches. So, uh, most schools, in the sec, if you win an sec tournament, you get a bonus. We don't bonus for sec tournament championships. We bonus for sec championships, which typically are the regular season. There are a couple sports like golf and tennis where the postseason is the, the conference yeah. championship, but you know, for most sports, it's the regular season. We value the regular season. we so we want to win conference championships. We were able to win six SEC championships last year, more than any other school in the SEC. I think we're now at 267. I uh, may be off a little bit, maybe 262. Uh, we celebrated a, a women's cross country championship. They won uh, back in uh, this fall. They won uh, their first title in 11 years um, in cross country. And so we, we, in the new, uh, conjuring dining hall over the Hebner. We have all the banners with all the champions yeah. and we unveiled their new banner with their, uh, 2023 sec championship. Um, we want to win conference championships. We want to win national titles. And, you know, we're one of two schools that have won at least one national title in each of the last 12 school years, won two last year, men's outdoor track and men's golf and had remarkably had three other teams finish runner up nationally in gymnastics, baseball, and, uh, Women's outdoor track, and then we had two others finish third. So we had mm-hmm. seven of our teams finish of our twenty-one finished first, second, or third in the nation last year. So, um, but you know hey, that's great. You you know we celebrate that year, another top five finish in Directors Cup, and then we turn the page and we got to you know figure out a way to go do it again. And football drops so much of the conversation, not just in Florida, but you know anywhere in the SEC. And sure, uh, but we we we've got a great collection of coaches and a really special group of athletes and um you know they're gonna uh the springtime is usually a really fun time to be a gator right we we get yeah. to kind of flex our muscles a little bit and and all those warm weather sports that, that we seem to do so well in um so i i you know it's, it's a blast and it's a real honor to get to to be around those 500 athletes and, and those 15 head coaches and support what they do
1: no doubt
0: and, uh, this uh, was not originally planned as a question for you, uh, but uh, there's some rumblings uh, with Ross Bjork moving to from Texas A&M to Ohio State. Um, there were some rumblings that uh, the Texas A&M Aggies might be looking for a new athletic director. Um, is there anything you can comment regarding that and uh, and and your happiness or or desire to stay in Gainesville and uh and be the athletic director here yeah
2: I, I I've got the best this University of Florida is the best job in the country um for college athletics uh, it's the best location it's the best school uh we've got an awesome fan base I love being a Gator and have no interest in in working somewhere else at this time
1: and then Scott you mentioned uh, this is a fun time obviously for the for spring we got the uh, SEC basketball in full swing uh, you know, for men's and women's. Uh, obviously, the men's team had an undefeated December. Tough start right now to SEC play, but uh, still a lot of schedule left. Just what are your thoughts on this year's team with Coach Golden and, and kind of what they're trying to accomplish?
2: Um, yeah, you know, it's so, it's so important in, um, in, in conference play to win your home games. Uh, road games are, are, you know, they're, they're, they're hard. It's hard yeah. to win road games uh and the, and the team that wins the championship is going to end up winning th- three or four they're gonna win all their home games they're gonna end up winning three or four road games typically and they're gonna be conference title uh, champions so we obviously lost a, a really tough heartbreaking home game against kentucky uh held serve against arkansas with the the big win you know big 20 point win in our second home game i've had two tough road games we gotta figure out how to win some games on the road we got it for one thing we got to make up losing that home game against kentucky uh somewhere with a road win and and uh, then we need to go find a few more and um you know i i i, I believe we could be a dangerous team um we we have not been as consistent as you would like um but you know i really i love how uh we have as much length and height as about any team in yeah. the country and I, I i like how the flexibility that, that that gives us to play different ways um obviously rebound. <laughs> we rebound really well uh, bringing in two experienced guys out of the portal in in Zion and and Walter Clayton uh, to go along with you know Will and Riley some other guys that I think has have been huge. Um, we just you know we've got to we've got to figure out a way to play better on the road and we got to keep holding serve at home. Scott, what um
0: what was last year last spring like? Uh, my wife was sweating uh, as I was in Omaha, Nebraska <laughs> the Monday of our wedding week. Um, and, and I tell people part of the reason I love baseball, if, if Wyatt Langford's bat is tilted a millimeter differently, the ball that's caught in game one is probably 20 rows into the stands and you're dogpiling in game two. Uh, that's just baseball. What was that run like to watch the success of the, that Florida had winning uh, or sharing an SEC title with Arkansas and, and making that run and, and getting all the way to the last game of the season?
2: Yeah, that's always fun because you know, once you get to Omaha, it's the only sport, college sport, still going on, and so you know, um, you're the only one still playing. And, and when you get down to the final two, you're in rare, you know, rare company. And um, you know, uh, Omaha's always great. That's always a special experience. I, I wasn't sweating how long we were there like you were, <laughs> but um, but that, that's always fun. But I'll tell you, my favorite memory from last baseball season was the. Um, the Super Regional against South Carolina, and the way our fans came out and on back to back nights set um, records in the the state of Florida for on campus crowds at at a college baseball game. Um, And I think, you know, the two nights combined about 17,000 people came out to watch Gator baseball at at Condren ballpark. And um, my experience being here for the last seven years is when we've hosted and we've had a weather delay, that has caused people to have to leave and come back, you know, we, we capture about 50% or 60% of the people when they come. We don't we don't retain the same crowd. Sure. And both those games against South Carolina, we had a we had the fan the stands were packed, and right for the game we had like a two or three hour delay. Mm-hmm. And you walk back in and the right before first pitch when we're actually playing is packed. So um, I thought that to me that was just that was a lot of fun and and um uh, uh, it, it, almost, it's almost like, um, we are taking this really storied program, uh, that's won all these championships, uh, and we're, we're creating a, a new vibe, a new, uh, a new fan experience. And, um, you know, I, I, know from talking to Sully and the guys, that, that was really special for them, the way the fans came out and supported that Super Regional and really helped propel them to that Omaha run.
0: Looking forward to this year. Um, I wrote this yesterday and I'll say it now, um, I don't want to put too much pressure on him, but Liam Peterson, freshman right-handed pitcher, might be the best freshman I've seen since Brady Singer. So that's a name to put on, uh, to put on your radar, Scott, uh, and someone I think will be uh, on the weekends uh, as as a young
2: freshman. Well, it's a, it's a long season, you know. <laughs> I tell no, myself, no, the
0: season, the season's canceled and, and Sully's fired the first time they lose on a Wednesday, a random Wednesday in February,
2: you know, football, you get 12 opportunities. So everyone is so precious in basketball. You get you know three times that many. And so you have to, you know, try to tell yourself it's its not life or, you know, you want to win every game, but if you have a bad day, you, you, you can recover from it. Sure. Um, baseball, um, it's even more so, right. There's a lot baseball and softball, both there's a lot of games. Uh, no one's going to undefeated, but, um, yeah, Sully, I think he's got a really nice group. A lot of young guys. Got a good mix of uh, returning guys, mm-hmm. freshmen, couple transfers. And, um, you know, he builds he builds and, and uh, crafts a roster about as well as anybody does. So it should be another fun year. Hey,
1: that's right around the corner. Uh, like you said, this is a fun time of year. I, I get to be a spectator uh, once baseball season comes around. So, uh, Scott, we really appreciate you taking out the time to uh, speak with us. Always great visiting with you. And, you uh, We'll see you around uh, the O-Dome and the ballpark. Sure Thanks, to, guys.
2: Man. Appreciate it. Y'all be good. Go Gators. Thanks,
1: appreciate Scott joining us for the interview and uh, great stuff from him. If you guys want to go check out some highlights from that, you can go to GatorsOnline.com. We've got some stories up from our interview with Scott and appreciate his time this week. want to encur- encourage all Florida fans as well to visit Rogueshop.com if you have issues sleeping, chronic pain, and or anxiety and stress. Rogue Shop sells CBD, THC, edibles, smokables, and vapes, as well as handcrafted basalt soaps, and candles. Rogue Shop is a true small business, and they have five employees and make all of their products with their own cannabis grown in their manufacturing facility. Visit RogueShop.com. That's R-O-G-U-E-S-H-O-P.com. And that'll do it for this week's Gators Online Show. Make sure you guys like and subscribe. And also, get in the door for all of our coverage at Gators Online. You can do it for just a dollar and uh, a lot heating up this weekend, of course, uh, with more transfers coming to town, recruiting news popping. You know, Keith and Corey are going to be all over it. We'll see you guys next week for the Gators Online show. For Nick Del Torre, I'm Zach Alvaverde. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. laundry? Oh, a book club. <sighs>